Hey, Podcast World. This is Ramon Sanchez. I'm an associate clinical social worker out in California and host of Destigmatize, a roundtable mental health podcast where professionals I know, members of my community, and some of my friends can discuss topics worth destigmatizing. For this episode, we are highlighting National Recovery Month, and to do so, I've invited some of the staff at Bakersfield Recovery Services. My first guest is Gilbert LaRocque. He is currently the executive director of Bakersfield Recovery Services. Gilbert is a graduate of California State University Bakersfield's Drug and Alcohol Studies Program and has been in recovery for 15 years. Gilbert acknowledges the importance of giving back to the community, doing things right, and trusting the process. I've also re-invited Charlie Van Borde, who has previously shared his overcoming of addiction, incarceration, and homelessness. Charlie is back as both an entrepreneur and certified registered alcohol drug technician at Bakersfield Recovery Services. Charlie is here to talk about his recovery journey that has led him to this path, as well as all the other things that he's learned since our last encounter in season one. And now, here's our episode. All right, Destigmatize, Season 2, Episode 7. I'm here with Charlie and Gilbert. What's going on, guys? Hey, what's going on? How's it going? Chilling, man. Charlie, welcome back, dude. Well, thank you. It's been a long time. Yeah, it's been a while. So, Charlie, you did a you did an episode with us on Season 1, so that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm glad that you're here. So, you're actually the first guest I've actually invited back. So, I don't know if that's a, if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know. If I did my... Uh I did my research and data. I think we're also the I was also the highest viewed uh, video Shut too. Insane. <laughs> it was not even like that, man. I'll actually pull that up. I actually think that's a lie. I think you, yeah, I you think actually you, had one of the one of the top ones. Well, yeah. the highest rated. I think you, you may have been the highest viewed. 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 Yes. Viewed. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff. All right. So I I, I do want to go ahead and congratulate you, Charlie, and your family on your new role um, with Bakersfield Recovery Services. You were with Flood Ministry before. Um, and I also want to go ahead and congratulate you guys on your ventures with Next Gen Game Truck. Thank you, board of directors with the Golden Empire Transit. Yeah, sir, you're kind of doing you're kind of doing it all, and you're pursuing your higher education. So I am doing a, I'm doing a lot right now. Yeah, yeah, man. You I don't be- want I want to leave out uh, I don't want to leave out that I'm also on the board of Stewards Inc. as well. There you go, man. Busy guy. Very busy. Yeah, we're going alongside Gilbert right here, yeah. helping the community. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> all right so i need to know is there anything that's off limits on this episode are you guys open books open book yeah all right so again the title of this podcast is destigmatize and um i know that you guys um you know you guys are here because we're we're gonna talk about uh recovery month and you know september is recovery month we're kind of coming towards the end of it but that doesn't matter you know this could be a ongoing conversation throughout the year yeah so you guys have been dealing you guys have been in remission for a while right i have been in recovery for 15 years 15 years so i like the reason why i called back why i recontacted because i had a relapse 160 186 days ago yeah so i thought it'd be uh it'd be recovery month uh let come talk about it let, let people know you know um you stumble you get back up you can push forward still yeah you don't have to hold down you know it doesn't have to hold you down you know not to uh sit on it uh you can pick yourself up and move forward yeah absolutely yeah and it's it's difficult to go ahead and and talk about this especially because there's such a big stigma around it you know which is ultimately why i asked that question you know is there anything that's off limits because for some people that are you know in recovery there there may be some stuff that is that they may not want to get triggered is that fair to say 
fair to say. Yeah. I think it's 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 interesting the fact that you know we talk about <clears throat> excuse me we talk about recovery month and we talk about the 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 importance of understanding that recovery it's good to bring it to the forefront all the time to understand that there are millions of people that live in recovery you know my recovery is every day i i don't I, there's no way i can both i can't not make it a part of my life from the minute i wake up to the minute i go to sleep even probably while i'm sleeping you know it's just it's my life and for recovery I have to not be able to look in the. I, I have to be able to look in the rearview mirror and kind of identify where I've been, because it leads me to where I'm going. So there's, uh, it's real hard for me to understand off limits because I don't think you could run a great program with, or run a program without understanding that sometimes the truth is really ugly and and your past isn't, but it's. That's part of your story. It's part of your story, and yeah. it's part of your recovery, and it's part of where you're going. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, but this, this relapse, I, you know, I had to take a, uh, an inventory of myself and realize that, you know, um, yeah, I've been through a lot, and I've con- and I've conquered a lot, and uh, I picked myself up and dusted myself off, and uh, I've been I beat a lot of demons, but this is one demon that I, I that I'm always going to have to fight, and I, you know. I'm always have to have uh, my shield up and not think that uh, I can get get by it and uh, and defeat it because it is a, it is a disease. You know? Yeah, 100%. So. Yeah. You guys have kind of briefly touched base on it, but I've, I've asked my guests um, every episode of the season, who are they? So just kind of going with that theme, who is Gilbert? Who is Charlie? Go ahead, Gilbert. Wow. Hmm. I am, I, you know, I, I really think, um, I always remain a work in progress. I have to live in the moment and I have to keep things as simple as I can to figure out who I am. Cause it does, it isn't always, you know, I've got a, I've got a, I'm, yeah, I just feel like I'm a work in progress. You know, I've uh, I've been on a journey. You know, I I started doing drugs when I was 14. You know, in and out of rehab, in and out of jail, in and out of all sorts of stuff, dealing in and out. Always worked. You know, if even in the times I was out of jail, I always I, I stayed at the same job for over 20 years. You know, and still in my addiction and all my demons and everything going on. So, I think I'm. I'm understanding that I need to live in the moment and live in recovery and realize that I can't ever take anything for granted. My biggest fear in my life as, as in recovery is complacency. I can't ever get too comfortable to the thing to real to think that I don't need the steps and I don't need my recovery. Yeah, and when you mean the steps, you mean the twelve steps. I mean the twelve steps. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, yeah. But but it's it's kind of funny. I don't know if you want to get into this now, but um, we can get back to that. It's it's. I think it's how uh, my sponsor has always worked with me on learning what the twelve steps are. Was the fact that um, <clears throat> it wasn't a checkoff list. These are life tools in every aspect, not just in my addiction, but how I handle relationships and how I handle my profession and how I handle coworkers and friends and how I handle meeting people and stuff like that. These are tools. These steps are tools. 
there it's not a check off list where I can go, oh, I did step four, oh, now I'm going to step five, now I'm right. going to six, step six, you know. You do the steps all day. If you live in the steps, I do them all day. Acceptance, you know, inventory, you know, always understanding if I'm going to, you know, actually go back and, and take care of some unfinished business and stuff like that. It continues. Yeah. That way. That's, I mean, that's part of you. That's yeah, part of Gilbert. It's part of who I, yeah, it's part of what we are, you know. 100%. Charlie? Who is Charlie? Um, Charlie's a man on a mission. Charlie, uh, Charlie's a lion. Charlie has, is an overcomer. Charlie, uh, but also Charlie makes mistakes. And, uh, and Charlie doesn't always make the right choices. And Charlie works with pride and ego at times. But, uh, Charlie's still a great person and, uh, and he cares about others and, uh, and he takes every day, day by day. And uh, it is, like Gilbert said, it is about working the steps, steps every day. Because that's, you know, taking a fearless moral inventory of yourself. Uh, where your character defects at? What do you got to change? What do you have to work on, you know? Uh, do you have a higher power that you're looking to? Are you being open and honest? Are you, uh, who are you? Who are you being? Do you, when you look in that mirror, do you believe in yourself? Um, I believe in myself, you know? Yeah. And so, um, I'm just a... Uh, I'm just a man on a mission trying to help others. So that's who I am. Man on a mission like it. Outside of the individuals you guys shared that to be, talk to our listeners about your guys' personal journey and what led you guys to be employees at Bakersfield Recovery Services. Repeat the question. Yeah, like what what led you to Bakersfield Recovery Service? Like talk about you, you know, who, yeah, so, you know, what what's your um, history? Yeah, well, let me Bakersfield Recovery Services. Well, Man sitting beside me, Gilbert, led me to Bakersfield Recovery Services. Uh, but for my personal mission, is you know, um, when I just when I made a change uh, within myself, you know, and that change, I will say, a change isn't always easy. You know, a change takes takes uh, time, it takes habits, it takes uh, change, changing things about you. And so, with that being said, you know, um, I wanted to make when I made that change, I wanted to be able to help others. And um, and when I had when this opportunity presented itself. Uh, to work to work at Bakersfield Recovery Services to help uh, people struggling with addictions as as I have myself or I am you know it, uh, I took it and so I am very honored to be able to work beside my coworkers at Bakersfield Recovery Services and learn from them uh, work with our clients and uh, and teach them the uh, the skills coping skills and and tutelage or knowledge that I've learned in my my uh, journey as well. Yeah, because I mean you've you've done it all, man. I mean you've been in jail, you've been, yeah, you know you've been in the streets, you've banged before, yeah. But yeah. you know that was that was that was a part of me. It's not who I am, but it was a part of me. Um, but I do, but that is my story. You know, I, I've been I spent fifteen years in incarceration and in a uh, prison. You know. Um, I've, I've, I've hung out with, uh, some bad guys, you know, um, but I've also hung out with some good guys as well, you know, uh, I've been on the streets, I've lived on the, uh, on the riverbed before, I've been homeless, you know, um, but I also had the opportunity to, uh, to change, and I, and I changed, um, when I changed, you know, I gave it all to God, and I surrounded myself with people that were very supportive of me. And at the same time, I had to cut everybody out that wasn't. And I think that's some of the, 
one of the hardest things for people to do. Yeah, it's tough. Is to cut out the people that uh, that are negative for them. Yeah, for sure. They they don't understand like whether it's family or not. You got to go. Yeah, because it's about me and my recovery. It's not about you. You know, if you want to be part of my recovery, that's fine. But it's about me and my recovery. Yeah, for sure. Gilbert, you're the executive director of Bigger Soul Recovery Services. I am. So talk to me about, you know, what got you to Bigger Soul Recovery and, you know, your journey. Mm, I, I, I really like what Charlie was saying. I said it, it's, it's, about, it's about self-discovery. It's about understanding that, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't keep pieces, my favorite pieces of the chaos. It all had to be gone. I had to be done. And with that comes the people you love and friends and different things, life. You got to just say no. I got to, I got to move forward <clears throat> in my recover in my life. And to, I, I remember, I remember uh, uh, this guy from New York. His name was Mike, and he was just, you know, I went back to rehab four or five times, you know. And I remember they would look at me like, "Oh, here he comes again." Here he comes again, Mr. Know-it-all, Mr. Going to come and try to, you know. And he would say, he would look at me and he'd go, come on in. He goes, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? You know, you need to answer me. Are you ready? You know, and I was, I was, yeah, I think I'm ready. Uh, If you say you think you're ready, you're not ready. But come on in and let's see what we can learn this next phase of whatever. To... People to you know to people who much is given, much is expected. So, I think recovery is about being of service, and that's what led me to BRS. You know, I'm at a, I'm at a really blessed time in my life. I've been there. I've been waking up in alleys and all that stuff. You know, I've been through that journey, and uh, every path I took, I know, has led me to where. I'm at today. You know, I came to Bakersfield on a fluke. You know, my wife got a job here and said, you know, listen, let's move to Bakersfield. We're going to finish off. And I thought, what a great opportunity. Um, Something new. Something new. I can get away from all my nicknames in the neighborhood. And Where are you originally from? Tucson, Arizona. Okay. Tucson, Arizona. Yeah, born and raised. Sixth generation, you know. Gotcha. And um, left for the military, came back. Thank you for your service. Just lived in, thank you, just lived in a bunch of just chaos. Chaos. Didn't get into recovery until I was 48 years old. Just back and forth, back and forth. And and um, I just thought, this was a great time, man. I'm going to I'm gonna be of service and give. So I went back to school at the age of what, 55 and decided to become an intern at Jason's Retreat right on the east side of, you know, some of the most amazing men and women and mommies and just people just trying to get their lives, trying to get back on track. And that's what it's all about, man. How can we help you learn those tools and get back on track, you know? And, and it's about being a service. I can't, you know, you got to be able to give it away. You just can't keep it inside and stuff like this. You got to learn. And with that comes mistakes. You know, I make mistakes all the time and I got to accept them. And that's the thing, acknowledging the fact that, hey, I'm not perfect. Some days I have to call my, you know, call my sponsor. Some days I have to work a step. I have to back up because I have a trigger going on. I have to, what is my plan? You know, I can't just right wake up without a plan. 
Yeah. And I think just kind of going back and talking about East Bakersfield, I think, you know, I, I'm a therapist at North Bakersfield and, you know, both North Bakersfield and East Bakersfield, there's a lot of just misunderstood people. You yeah, know? absolutely. And it's just like there's a lot of just misconceptions about both of these sides of town when in reality, you know, they're just human beings as well. Right. And, you know, nothing wrong with that. And, you know, just kind of going back to what you were saying about and for both of you guys, you know, that you guys are highly achieved men that have been able to go ahead and have successful careers at this point in your lives you guys still have sponsors executive director of of uh, a really respected institution in bakersfield has a sponsor wow like hey it, there's no shame in that game at wow. all you know and this no, and this no. is just for the people that are listening that are going to take the time to listen to this you know there's i, I don't think there's any shame in it you know there's no shame in that at all you know and I, i'm just you know I'm, I'm really glad that you shared that hey. You know, I've learned in my travels and uh, being going from the uh, the bottom, I'd say, uh, to the, you know, two leaders in this community. I've sat beside them. I sat in circles with them. Um, at one point, you know, I, would, uh, I was like, I shouldn't be here. This is not where I want to be. Kind of like not, impo- not where I don't want to be. It's not where I shouldn't be, right? You know? Kind of well, like well, imposter well, syndrome. Yeah, yeah, imposter syndrome a little bit. Then I started hearing their stories. And I started hearing, you know, that they have issues. It's like we do. And I started seeing them break down and crying. And I was like, this is exactly where I need to be. I need to be here because this is my people. So we all struggle. We all go through things. You know what I mean? Uh, we, the addiction comes in many, many uh, disguises. For sure. And uh, so, so. If, if anybody's struggling, you know, don't 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 be hard on yourself. Reach out for help and, and get it. You know, it doesn't matter who you are because uh, everybody struggles. So, with that said, at what point did you realize that seeking help for your substance use was essential? Yeah, it definitely was uh, essential. When know? did you realize that? Um, it was a, it's been a long been a long travel. You know, just like Gilbert. You know, I, I would go into these programs. I've been to I had been to almost every program out here, thinking I knew it all. Like I told Gilbert. Uh, we could go, you know, like I remember I was at BRS as a client and, um, I thought I knew it all. I was giving the clients blues. Uh, they couldn't tell me something I did not know. Um, now, you know, um, uh, but when you think you know it all and you're not teachable, you, uh, you can't learn nothing, you know? And so, uh, I had to hit rock bottom. I had to hit rock bottom and, uh, and, uh, be in despair and finally, it was in 2000, 2000 uh, December 31st, 2019, sitting in the back of that cop car. And it had been a slow progression uh, before that, but I remember the, uh, <coughs> the deputy was like, hey, you know, I think your problem is Charlie. He didn't even call me by my last name at that point. But he's, I said, what's that? He said, he said, I think your thoughts are, are unorganized. <laughs> I started laughing because I was like, I think we know my life is unorganized. You know, and uh, I wasn't laughing at him when he said that. No, but it was like a light bulb went off on my head. And I was like, yeah, I'm done. So at that um, point, that December night, how old were you when, when you came to terms with that? Um, 2020. And, uh, when I'm at 46 now, so I was 43 years old. Yeah. 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 So, so, uh, so it, was, it was a little process, you know, even being in, when I got to custody, you know, um, reached out to the deputies and asked them, tell them, hey, I need help, you know. Started crying. Started crying to them. And, um. And, uh, and I said, and I remember when W.I.L., I was like, hey, I.L., am I going to be okay? He's like, what do you mean you'll be okay? He's like, on this rat-ass rat case? He's like, you do this all the time, Charlie. You know, what are you worried about? 
but not what that's not what I meant. And I was like, am I gonna be okay? He's like, are you gonna be okay? I thought he thought I, I think he thought I was suicidal, but uh, I was like, no, this isn't you know anymore. It's not who I am. Uh, I need help, right? You know, and uh, yeah, I got the help. You know, I got the help, and uh, and I've been pushing along ever since. That's why I tell people. That's why I want to sit here. Like, you know, you get the help, and if you struggle, if you fall, don't give up. Keep pushing through. You know, yeah, because uh, changing is not easy. If change is easy, everybody be doing it. One hundred percent. What about you, Gilbert? When did you know that you, that you seeking help was essential? You know, I'd been, um, I came from a pretty big family. I came from a family that was always there. And, you know, it was always um, picking up the pieces for Gilbert, you know. And he's going to go to jail for a little while, but he'll come out and we'll, you know, get back. And he'll stay clean for a little while. He'll stay sober for a little while, you know. And through those years, you... You, you know, there's a big difference between being clean and being sober. It's a big difference. What's that mean? You know, you can be clean because I'm just not using. But if you're sober, then you're working the program. You're doing the life stuff that you need to get done. Cleaning up, cleaning up the wreckage, doing all the things you need to do on a daily basis. You're doing I the work. Was, I was just clean. Yeah. You know, I was just clean. So I'd hang on like just waiting for someone to step on my fingers so I could fall off the cliff and just go back to the same stuff all over again. You like, know? You're, like you were looking for an excuse in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. I was looking, oh, that person made me do it. You know, becoming complacent. I'm fine. I'm going to just start with one. I'm going to just do this. I'm going to go back to dealing a little bit. I'm going to go back to the chaos and stuff like this. And at the age of 48, you know, I, I had successes. I, I lost to me, losing everything was no big deal. I would lose everything and just come back again and start all over and get a job and car, everything. Just start all over. Then I'd lose it again. Then I'd start all over. And I just, oh, I was 48 years old, May 20th, you know. May 20th, 2008. I was just, I was done. I was just surrendered. I just uh, woke up and... I'd been in some chaos, I'd gotten arrested, and I'd gotten away with, they didn't find some drugs in my car, and they had gone through it, let me tell you, they had just gone through it, but I think they were so tired of dealing with me, that, that they were just, they took my car away and got out of jail, and and just decided, and I, I remember looking at some of my family members, and they were just like, God, really dude, when, and just the sadness, not the, not the, not the anger. It was just the sadness in their eyes that just, I thought, enough, man, enough, enough. So I'm back into treatment, back to the same people. They were like, here you go, man, here you go. And I just, um, I had to surrender. To me, it was all about surrender. It was about saying, hey, I'm done. Man, dude. The family part's kind of what gets to me because it's like mm, I don't yeah. think I don't think a lot of people really take it to consideration. It's like, yeah, fuck, like a person's gonna go ahead and get high or get drunk or you know whatever the hell needs to happen at that moment. And it's just like you don't really take into consideration, or maybe you do take into consideration what happens with the family, but it's just like at that moment, the pains and struggles that you know that the person that's using is going through those are real, you know. And there's nothing in the world that could go ahead and change those feelings you know right. for the family you know so 
what what would you like to say to your guys's family and what and ultimately what do you feel that other people would say to their families um i i think i always um i always one of the things we talk about especially at brs as part of the the, the recovery process when we're all going to groups and doing all the things that we need to get done is never forget that your family's in the addiction too. your family's in recovery. Your family has triggers. Your family has people that we call normies, you know, my wife, you know, what's a normie. <laughs> That's what they say that, you know, people that we in, in some of the groups say, Oh, they're, they're normies. You know, they can have a sip of wine and they can be fine. And so okay. what's, what is that? You know, Tell me what what is what, what do we call normal nowadays? You know, so gotcha. what's the so the normie of not being in recovery, not be, working the twelve, not being just being one of those millions of people that gets up every morning and does the thing and has a sip of wine and can stop and be done with dinner and go on with their lives and take care of their kids and go to school without you know without forgetting their kid at school you know because they're drinking too much or whatever. Right. That's what you know. So, but they have triggers. Your family has triggers, you know, when I start, when I start closing up or I'm tired or I'm, my mind's in a different set, your, your family starts having triggers because they remember what led to the next step, you know? Yeah. They start wondering what's happening. They start wondering what's going on. So to understand that my family's in recovery, I'm not the only one in recovery. I've affected this whole circle of people who love me. And who care about me. They are now. Never asked for it. They never asked for it. And they're in recovery right now. To be aware of the fact that when I start closing up. Or I stop communicating. Or I'm a little tired today. You know. My wife's the first one. Did you call your sponsor? You know. You know. I'm not. I'm, you know. What's going on here? Why are you acting like this? Did you. You know. You better own you better figure this. You better own what's going on, and you better work whatever. Go, go pick up your blue book. That's what she tells me. That's what she calls the A book, the blue book. Go pick up the blue book over there, and read whatever you're reading when you read in the morning and stuff like that. It's about that. It's about it's about honesty of knowing that. Hey, listen. You know what? I'm feeling shitty today, but I need to understand that. You know, I got to express to people I love that. Hey, I'm feeling shitty today. You yeah. know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I, I piggyback off that. That's exactly true. Um, for a long time, I didn't want to express if I had a bad day because I didn't want to hear Are "You okay?" Uh, uh, now, now I express that I'm at a bad day. Bad day, you know. And I do get phone calls or texts. Hey, you okay? Let's go. Let's go. Let's go to lunch. Let's go. Uh, you need to talk. No, but it's that, it's because of my addiction. That and the trauma I've caught, I've, I've projected onto other people. Right, is why that that is. But it's also because they care and they love us. Yeah, right? of course. Um, I, I don't think about you know for I've never thought about the trauma I was putting on my son. You know, yeah, uh, the abandonment, abandonment issues he's got, uh, the the anger he has, he still hasn't recovered from that. That you know, we still don't talk to this day. Um, you know, the people, I, the family members I have pushed away. Yeah. You know? We don't, we don't all, we don't think about that. And then we get and you know, when I came in recovery, I thought everything was going to be a hunky dory and everybody's going to come back and do my life. And it, you know, it's not, 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 not the case at all. It's been a, uh, it's been a whirlwind. It's, uh, it's be. I've had to learn to set boundaries 
with myself yeah. and with family with people I've hurt in my family because uh they're just, they're so hurt that um that 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 they're still trying to hurt that they're trying to hurt me back, you know. And if I'm not careful, you know, that could that could lead to a relapse, you know. For sure. Um, so yeah, I've learned I learned to uh I've the family dynamic is very 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 real, you know, because you're not you're not uh your addiction your addiction you're not this you're not the only person in your addiction, you know. Your family is in your addiction with you. Yeah, one hundred one hundred percent. You know, like they say, uh, when you go to prison or you go to jail, you know, you're not the only one doing time. Yeah. Other people are doing Amen. it with you, or, or in recovery, yeah. or when you go to treatment, you're not the only one doing treatment. Yeah. Right, one hundred percent. I mean, just kind of hearing you, you know, your relapse within one hundred and eighty-six days yeah. ago. You know, that was recent. Yeah, that was bef- that was between this episode and the last episode that yeah. we did. So it's just like you know, your family, you know, the people that are in your lives that are dealing with it on a daily basis. You know, they see that, and it's kind of like you know, it, it definitely impacts them one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, no, like last week, you know, I. Called it. Uh, I was like, "Hey, you know, I'm having a time, time, a tough time, you know, in this transition. I'm having with work, you know." And um, then they got a call and they said, "Hey, let's go. Do, you want to go? Let's go. Let's go talk. Let's go to lunch." And you know, I was just communicating with them, you know. But it's just, yeah. And you, you know, people are just aware of what of what you do and, and how you how you uh what you say and how you present yourself. Right. So, were you surprised at the level of support or the level of yeah, or whatever it may have been, it could have been support or guilt that your family gave you when you did relapse. Um, I was more guilt. Was more, I had more guilt on myself than I, I believe than other people. You know? Gotcha. They, uh, I have a lot of support in this community. Yeah, but that I didn't that I didn't know about. You know, a lot of people uh, have supported me that I don't even know who they are. I don't even know their names. You know, um, I am surprised about that. Yeah, you know? but it just shows that you know. It shows that this community cares. People, people care, and that's what I mean. Like when you say that, you know, everybody can understand somebody's struggle because they're probably struggling in some way themselves. Yeah, for sure. And so, uh, um, but uh, yeah, with the uh, with Michelle's with my uh, girlfriend Michelle and her daughters, you know, um, they they're they seen that they seen that, and you know, and it bothered them. And we had to sit down and have a conversation about it. And uh, I'd be open and honest about it. They had known previously about my past. Uh, but when this happened, you know, I really had to take in. Uh, I really had to filter everything that was going on in my life. Yeah. And, um, and I, I, would, I would see from afar how they would watch how, my, how I acted when I come from work or what I, or how, what I say or, or my uh, reaction to things. Yeah. And so, you know, um, yeah, you have to be very, uh, very cognizant of the people in your life. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I, I like what you said when you when you talk about, um, you know, when you first asked who who are you, you know, all those years in addictions, you're whoever you need to be, not who you are. You're whoever you need to be at that time to whoever you're talking to, to whoever you're to live. To survive. To survive. To live 48 years just juggling 18 balls in the air. And then when one falls and they all come down, and you, who am I supposed to be today? You know, you can't remember, you know, you can't remember what you told someone. You can't remember what you said. You know, you can't remember. One of the greatest things about recovery is I don't have to remember anything. You know, I'm at the age where, hey, 
I forgot. What did you say, Charlie, yesterday? What did you, what were you telling me? You know, and it's all good. You've earned because, that. Because it's, it's honesty, you know, yeah. and it's, it's about, it's about living in that. <clears throat> it's funny. We do a lot of things and we do what the seven habits of life, you know, and we talk about stuff like that. And one of them, one of them heading down the road, you know, is, you know, it's number one, you know, it's, you know, just letting go of the past, making sure that you live in the future, all that stuff. But the one where it says all the time, time doesn't heal everything. You're going to, so if people tell you that time heals everything, bullshit, they're bullshitting you. Yeah. Time does not heal everything. There are people that will not forgive you. You can go, but wait a minute. I'm doing my amends right now. Let me show you my piece of paper. You're supposed to, they don't give a shit. You know, I went up to somebody, hey, I am so sorry for what we did. You know, I'm coming up with my little amends list. And this guy just looks at me and goes, get the fuck out of here. I don't care what you do. I don't ever want to look at you again. What? You know, you, wait a minute. You're supposed to. You know, I'm not supposed to do anything. You know, right. you're, time doesn't heal everything. Sorry, sorry, that's reality. You Sometimes know? it's not about them. It's it's about <clears throat> about you. Right? It's exactly yeah. that's where I was yeah. going. It comes back to inside. It's about you. Yeah, it's not about them. It's about you. It's about you forgiving yourself. Right. So that you can go on. Right. There are other people that won't forgive you. What other people think of me is none of my business. Yeah. Right. You know, just isn't. But ultimately, it's it's you being able to forgive yourself. Exactly, it's it being able to understand and forgive yourself so that you can go through that whole stuff. Yeah, you know, one hundred percent. Yep. Yeah, I personally fear that there's a societal perception towards individuals who are dependent on substances, and there's a taboo when you see someone in the street spinning around. That there are a few people out there who know what those people are battling through. You know, ultimately it's a disease and it's not one that's easily compatible versus, you know, like someone that goes out and gets a flu shot and your symptoms are gone the next day. Substance abuse isn't like that. You know, how do you feel society's perception of substance users influences your journey, whether in seeking help or during your own recovery? Um, I, yeah, this is a really good question, man. I, I feel that a, a lot of times I, I, I try to give it the point of view that, you know, people do know what that people, people need to be educated on what that person's feeling. We've all felt that. We may have not gone to that extreme, the, the guy on the street, you know, all high, doing whatever the, the people, you know, I'm on the board at the Fox Theater. When I walk around downtown, you know, there are people I know. Dude, some some of these people are former clients and some of these people are whatever, but it's about acknowledging someone and about calling them by their name, looking them in the eyes, and just it's about educating the people who kind of say they don't understand, you know, because we've all had that stuff in our head, that right. isolation, that that fear that nobody wants me, that nobody, you know, what am I going to do next? What am I doing out here? That, that whole loss of control or whatever we've, we've all, and I, and I think, and I feel that now it's more about, let's talk about it. Let's communicate. Let me, I'm not afraid to tell you where I've been. I can't be, 
I can't be because then I won't go anywhere. I won't move forward if I can't tell you where I've been. You know, so everybody's everybody's been there. We felt that fear. This person just went there, you know, but if we just talk about it and we just educate and we realize that, you know, no matter who I am or where I live or, you know, I've been there. We've been there in one way or another. So what you're saying is that someone that may be in recovery or that may be clean or sober, right, as you described it. Mm -hmm. So an individual that may be listening to this at this moment, that may be clean or sober, should have a conversation with the normies to go ahead and educate them that I'm a human being too. Right. This is is who I am, man. My name is Gilbert. I am a man who, you know, you can talk to me, you know. Right. Yeah. And these individuals, they may look dirty, present dirty, because that is what they have to do in order to survive at that moment. It's absolutely right. But that's that's the extent of it. You know, they don't have anything that is theirs outside of what may be, you know, and, and, and that's kind of what I was going to with regard to society having a taboo. I think people are pissed off because of the fact that, you know, there's a homeless person that has a you know shopping cart filled with their items and there may be some items that may fall on the floor which contributes towards you know the just pollution of the area or whatever it may be not really understanding that this is what they have in order to survive and it's easier to judge and have that conversation versus being able to understand the story beautiful my experience, people don't want to uh, have that conversation. They want to, they want to bark. They want to judge, um, but they don't want to sit down and uh, have an open, deep uh, com- conversation about it. Because, as you're saying that, you know, these people and I, these people, some of you may be standing on the street, waving their arms, talking to themselves, right? Right, classic um, schizophrenia symptoms yeah, yeah. that may be substance induced. Maybe, maybe, but uh, I also believe that we all <laughs> we talk to ourselves in our head all the time. We may right. be processing Absolutely. different than they are. One hundred percent, man. We're just processing differently, I, and so you know, some of us get to do that in our own home in our showers. You know, one, some people have a family dynamic that they come from where they have supportive family. Some people have pissed off their family where they're they're not there no more. You know, right? Um, but what? What 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 is their story? Where where can we help at? You know, I want to say, um, and I, I, we talk about downtown because downtown is one of, for Bakersfield is one of one of the worst. But um, when somebody has a true heart, and I'm not trying to uh, <laughs> promote promote it, but uh, Cassie Biddle of Casey Steakhouse, you know, she's dealing with the homeless all the time, mm-hmm. breaking her locks, uh, doing. Uh, feces everywhere but you know she loves them the same no matter what absolutely and uh she sits there and, and she sits down and have a conversation with them and tries to get to know them you know and so <laughs> if if i wish that everybody in our community would have a heart like that you know um you would you would think a lot different 100 percent. so and, and i think there's the part where you know i understand people and and i think it's 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 about continuing the education it's about continuing the conversation you know um is there you know i get that all the time you know i get i'll go to dinner and people come up to me and go hey come on man what are we gonna what is the what is the solution to this 
drug and homeless. You know, what? I don't know. I help the next person that comes for help and we educate and we talk about it and we discuss it and we go on to the next thing and we help and be of service as much as we can. Is it ever going to go away? We got to be realistic. No. But learning more, we can help more. We can spread the word more. We can educate a little bit more. We can be a little more tolerant. We can understand that that is someone's brother, son, father, uncle. You right. know. How long have the war on drugs been around for? It's been around forever, right? Just, yeah, just comes in different. Just come now. The different waves, of different waves, yeah. different forms, different chemical compounds are different now. Yeah. It's cheaper now. Right. Uh, the chemicals they're using now to cut the dope are substances with. Um, and the, and the amount that they're uh, is easily accessible to get now and how, because of how cheap it is, it's just uh, frying the brain. Yeah, one know? And so uh, it's going to be a, it's a long road. Yeah. Know? And it's going to take, and it's going to, that's going to start with public policy, you know, and then on our end, it's going to start with love and there's community and it's going to start with love and understanding and, and fellowship. And, you know, yeah. It's, it's, it's not. It's not going to be an overnight fix, and it's not a one-size-fits-all uh, uh, solution to this. 100%. Um, I do assessments for um, No Place Like Home Initiative uh, through Kern County Behavioral Health, mm-hmm. and I, I, I talk with the human beings that are there, and I get to learn a whole lot about them. And, you know, a lot of people don't choose to be homeless. That's that's exactly. what comes to them. You know, and a lot of people don't choose addiction. It just It's something that is part of them that came to them and, they that it's part of their genetics, you know, for some people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, go ahead. So I, you know, my dad was an alcoholic. My mom was a drug addict. And, uh, but I was raised by my grandparents. And um, I didn't want nothing to do with the, my dad or my mom. And I always said, I'm like, I'll never be a drug addict. I'll never be an alcoholic. And I used to tell everybody that. And I became the one, I became the things that I never thought I'd be. Right. And that's the family genetics that you're talking about. That was actually going to be my next question. What are some of the misconceptions you had about recovery before you started your own journey? You know, so you kind of answered it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was easy. I was like, man, my mom, you know, I was a young kid going from motel, 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 uh, no stability, uh, going to my dad's on the weekend, always drunk. I'd have to drive, sit on his lap and drive him home from, you know, where we're at. How old were you? Uh, when I was driving my dad, dad yeah, I'm probably about seven or eight years old. There you I'd, go. I'd be sitting on his lap. Yeah, you know, survi- you're alcohol. you're surviving. Yeah, alcohol. You know, you know, everybody thinks alcohol uh, is okay, but you know, it, but it takes a toll on families more a lot, a lot more than people understand. You know, um, so yeah, you know, uh, back in the day, I was like, I'd never be like them. I don't know what you know, and um, and so, but I didn't realize what kind of disease it was at the same time. You know, I didn't know how bad it had affected my dad and, and my mom and um, what it's done in their lives. And uh, now that I'm in recovery and I'm going through the things I go I go through and I process the things I've been through, you know, uh, I look at it, I look at it in a whole different light now. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you were mad at them and you couldn't <laughs> forgive them at the time. And maybe now you have a, a better understanding. Yeah. You probably forgive them. Yeah. And I stayed away for a long time, you know, Um you know, I wasn't always into uh, meth, you know. I started meth when I was in 2005, you know, but I did drink. 
and I was using drinking as a coping mechanism because I was uh, I was in depression, and back then nobody talked about depression, you know. And uh, I was trying to, I was always feeling empty inside, and I, I go to bars and hang out with people that thought with my friends, and you know, or trying to socialize with these girls, or you know, uh, trying to fill that void, that empty void within myself. Sounds like you drink and use to feel. Yeah. yeah. So you know, and uh, it. Now that now that I look back on it, you know, um, that's part. That's what my family was feeling, you know. And I, I pushed them away for it during that time. I didn't want nothing to do with. I was so angry at them, you know. But now my dad's passed away. My dad had a massive heart attack. My mom, she's got dementia, and so I missed a lot of part of my life because of judgment and being angry, you know. So I'm assuming you feel bad, yeah, or of course you 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 take it back. Of course I would. Yeah. And and this is just you know and I, and I'm asking these questions, man. Yeah, and again, I asked from the very beginning, what's off limits? Um, and this is more for the people that are listening. Yeah, you know, um, it's it's so whoever may be listening to it at this moment, whether they're under the influence at this moment or going to go ahead and be clean in the next couple of days, take a listen to this. You know, by people that have gone through this. You know, I, I kind of identify as I guess I would be labeled as the normie. You know. You know, the normie is the person that's able to go ahead and have a drink of alcohol and not be triggered by anything and, you know, still have the voices in my head as you were talking about, but they just don't come out loud. I just think it in, in my head and um, I'm, I'm that normie, right? But at the end of the day, it's like this normie, and I think a lot of people and a lot of normies are like, man, this is a stressful event. I need a beer, hmm. right? And it's like, these are the thoughts that you have. So it's like, just being able to understand that those thoughts are normal and that those are things that other people go through as well. You know, they may have stressors that may be like, man, I'm dealing with this uh, DHS worker. I need a beer, right? But the difference is that we as normies, as we're you know we're being labeled at this point now. Yeah, <laughs> we got we got our own stigma, right? right. <laughs> this podcast is destigmatized, Charlie. But uh, but ultimately, we're able to turn it off. But these people are dealing with it because of their genetics and the genetics that may come before them, or the other stressors that maybe you know we have no idea what these people are going through. Yeah. I want culture, say the culture, culture yeah. belief systems. You know, I grew up. I was born in 1960. I come from a big family that. You didn't talk about it. You had that, you know, uncle that acted a little weird on Friday and when the police came and every once in a while you were a kid, you saw it, you know. You didn't talk about mental health. You didn't talk about somebody drinking too much. Oh, you know, he just got crazy that night. We're all good. Everybody go back to work and live their life and go to church on Sunday and forget what you did on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And, right. You know, it'll be, it's, it's a culture thing and it's a... And we also <clears throat> have to understand through through what we know and through especially the diversity of Bakersfield, the diversity of this community, a lot of it is belief systems and culture. A lot of it isn't just, you know, it, it, of course it's it's what happens in your family and said this, but how you ask for help, how you reach out, how you educate is to understand who you're talking to, to understand the 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 secrets that you keep or the things you don't you were brought up never ever to talk about and you've lived your life for decades like that some of the things i did you know we 
You didn't talk about stuff like that. You <clears throat> cleaned up the mess, and you went to work. And you got up and did the next thing you need to do. Shut up. You know, don't talk about this to the family. Nobody wants to know that you're seeing a therapist. Nobody wants to know that you're, you know, culture, mindset, belief uh, systems. Uh, go ahead. No, go ahead. So I know we talked about substances and people uh, homeless or some of you uh, having a mental breakdown with uh, substances. But, you know, a lot of society doesn't understand that, you know, alcohol one of the leading causes of preventable, preventable deaths there is binge drinking, you know. Mm. Uh, a lot of people just sitting at home, going to the bar, you know, leaving, you know. What if, you know, what if that drink uh, caused you to hit somebody and kill a kid, you know? Um, what are you What are you doing to your family dynamic when you're drinking? You know, what are your kids seeing? What is your wife seeing, you know? It, it comes in, the stigma comes in a lot. I think people don't understand that, you know, it's time to destigmatize substances and look at the whole picture. You know, substances this isn't uh, this isn't meth, heroin, fentanyl. Uh, uh, trying to think of something. Help me out here. Um, cocaine, cocaine, yeah, cocaine, yeah, cocaine yeah. oxycotton. You know, oh, that's what I was looking for. Uh, but you know, it's, it's also alcohol, prescription drugs. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot there of people understand. You know, it's easy, easy accessible, right? Absolutely. A lot of that's how a lot of uh, uh, kids get get uh, started. Teenagers yeah. get started. One hundred percent. And as we talk about, you know, National Recovery Month, you know, and and again, this is just September is just a spotlight to go ahead and just yeah. put it on the map. But I mean, this could be any month. This could be at any point in you know the time. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to do with just substances, you know, recovery month, they could also do with individuals that deal with pornography addictions, with, uh, gambling addictions, relationship with, addiction, yeah, relationship Human addictions, life. sexual addictions, yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, ultimately there is no shame in just being able to go ahead and ask for help or you need it. No shame at all. You know, and, and that's kind of where we're at, you know, kind of moving on to the, the recovery and healing aspect of our, of our episode. <laughs> I want to talk about in what ways has being in recovery transformed your life and your perspective on recovery. Well, I can say for me, you know, I kind of touched on it with my family, my parents, you know, uh, I'm not judgmental yeah. as I was before, you know, I, before I was, I was very judgmental, uh, very judgmental against people that did drugs, uh, I didn't want nothing to do with them. I thought they were, everybody was a uh, was a bad person, you know. Um, but now, once I've had a, uh, you know, be, once I've I've lived that life myself, you know, it's definitely changed my perspective. And when I said earlier, you know, I've been I've, I've been around bad people. I've been around good people. You know, I meant that. You know, in that lifestyle, yeah, I was around bad people. But at the same time, I was around good people too that were just lost, like I was yeah. lost, and. uh they didn't know. They didn't have no other way out. And I and I counter people at the BRS every day, you know that that they don't know. Sometimes they don't know where to start, you know. Um, and we are the place for them to start, you know. And at the same time, like man, all my family—that's all they do. <clears throat> so we had, and it was how, how hard it is to tell somebody well, you got to get rid of your family. You know, you're going to cut them off first. You know, it's not that it, fucking it, easy. It's not easy at all, man. So uh, yeah. Hope that answer your question a little bit. Yeah, one hundred percent, man. Yeah, what about you? Yep, I think it's uh, 
<clears throat> navigating. Well, I I think you know this in, in in your job. It's about navigating the conversation to you know. How Gilbert, we, Gilbert, fuck what I know, man. I don't know. Yeah, you, you you talk to me like I don't know shit. <laughs> okay, how do you how do you be able to, you know, tell someone just, you know, gotta get rid of your family, gotta get rid of that, you know. So I I think recovery has taught me the fact that it's a journey. It's patience. It's compassion, empathy. It's slowing down. You know. Maybe sometimes it's just me that I'm at that age now where I can kind of slow down a little bit and I can take some time to listen a little bit and say, listen, you know what, boundaries, gosh, this society has no boundaries. We TikTok and social media and stuff like this. Where are your boundaries as a person, as a human being, as no is no. Yeah. No is no. So I think that's part of when you're talking about recovery, just... The peace, the fact that, you know, you just, um, you go back to the golden rules. That's what's helped me in my recovery. Treat people how you want to be treated, man. Be, be a, I have a little thing on my desk that says just, all yeah. you got to do today is be a kind human. That's awesome. That's it. Just be a kind human today. And, and if I keep my recovery that, I don't know if you want to call it simple, but if I keep it that simple, then I remain there. For sure. I remain there. Yeah. Reco- recovery has to be number one in your life. My wife isn't going to take me down. I'm going to take me down. My wife isn't. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Yeah. A lot of people in recovery, they're always looking for that uh, um, companionship. Companionship, right? Yeah. And um, it's not your recovery isn't about your companionship. Recovery is about your companionship maybe with yourself, you know, Mm, your higher power. But not not some some other warm body, you know. Recovery has to be about you and you only. You got to take it serious for sure. You don't take that shit serious; it's going to eat you up. I think that's kind of what I, you know. What we kind of preach in therapy when when it comes down to one's happiness, you know, you ultimately contribute towards success or failure of your happiness. You can't really blame that or put that on anyone else. Um, with regards to boundaries, I really like that. Um, I don't really talk about boundaries in much of my episodes, which I should, but there, you know, I like to go ahead and emphasize that there are six different types of boundaries. You have your physical boundaries. You know, I think COVID is a really good example of that. You know, your six feet that if someone gets too close to your boundaries, most people get defensive. Uh, you have your emotional boundaries, your mental boundaries. You have your sexual boundaries, your financial boundaries, and your spiritual boundaries. You know, whether one believes it, you know, and um, you know, one may believe in God, another person may not, you know, but it's also um, not okay to, dis- to disrespect those that do or don't, you know, um, you know, same thing with sexual boundaries. If, you know, if that's outside of anything that's consensual would be considered rape, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that would be a violation of one's sexual boundaries. Um, same with the financial boundaries. Hey, how much do you make? That would be a violation of a financial boundary. So, you know, all these boundaries, you, you always need to look at it in the perspective of, are you violating one's boundaries? And if the answer is yes, then, you know. What, do you, what about violating your own boundary? You that's have a boundary absolutely. within yourself. Yeah, yeah for sure. You know, you, what, you, what, you allow, what you allow yourself to do, you're going to allow the others to do, right? 100%. Um, so I tell my clients, like, they always talk, we talk about boundaries, but like, yeah, first you need to have a boundary within yourself first. Put that boundary within yourself and everything else will follow. Yeah. You know, in, in recovery, we lose that. We lose, we lose our boundaries. We lose our boundaries in all these different situations that we have. Or we think that 
a certain way of being is is a boundary now, you know. And so, so I think it's important, like you said, we talk to our clients a lot about boundaries. Yeah, recovery begins with creating your boundary, you know. And yeah, I like that. Yeah, for sure. Can you describe any challenges or triumphs that you faced during the early stages of your recovery? And what advice would you give to anyone who may be listening to this and contemplating recovery? Don't be so hard on yourself, man. Take take the time to understand that it's, uh, you know, you made a lot of mistakes getting here. You're going to make mistakes in recovery. And being able to constantly reach out and being able to understand that you know what it's um it's okay to it's okay to not always do what you think you know what what people think you have to be when in your recovery you know it's a process and it takes time you know there is no there is no timeline for steps there is no you can't you know people sometimes put a lot of pressure on someone coming out in recovery that recovery needs to be this way. You should be here at 30 days. You should be here at 60 days. Well, you know what? I can't get past day five right now. I just can't. It's okay, man. Let's live in day five for a little while. Just let's not go back to day three. Let's live in day five and figure out how to get to day six. You're still a badass at day five. What's that? You're still a badass at day five. That's right. That's right. right. You still got your still day five is all right. You good, amen. You got to day five, you know. But let's let's stay there and figure it out. So I think that's one of the biggest things uh, that I like to think about for me was that someone came up to me and said, "Listen, oh, slow down, bro. This isn't a race. This isn't a race. You didn't get here overnight. You ain't gonna get clean overnight. You're not gonna get sober overnight. It's a process." And he always says. What I always say, trust the process, man. It, it's kind of, it kind of, sometimes the process sucks. It sucks bad. Trust the process. That's it. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I trust the process. I can tell you now what I have. Um, <clears throat> I just texted somebody yesterday. I was like, you know, I'm a, uh, I'm a bad dude, you know, because um, what I, what I would have, what I dealt with before in that, uh, and I, I call them uh, butterflies or razor buds, blades um, in my early recovery, how everything affected me. Uh, I had to sit on that. I had to sit on it and um, had to trust the process. But now I can say that now that th- that does not affect me at all. I don't even feel the butterflies or razor blades anymore, you know. And I can look at things. I can uh, I can handle things differently now. You know, I don't work out of emotion anymore. I work out of uh, I, I work out of common sense now. You know, um, before I couldn't say that I worked out of emotion, worked out of, uh, let me, uh, I don't want to feel like this. Let me go get my drink. Let me go with that drink or let me go, uh, let me go get, get some meth. And, you know, now I don't, you know, I can, um, uh, I can, uh, I can sit on my hands. I can look at my, in the mirror and uh, I can move past it. You know? For sure. Yeah. Trusting the process. I, I think that's a really good way of looking at it. And, and I think that those individuals that are contemplating recovery, I think that you guys should consider the stages of change uh, towards recovery yes, and and definitely talk to uh you know wherever you're at you know it, in this particular episode we're talking about bigger recovery services but if you're listening to this wherever you're at nationwide just go ahead and find your local um substance use service uh, provider 
and talk about the stages of change. Pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, maintenance, and relapse. You know, and that's that's part of it. Um, so talk to them about that. Are there any techniques or tools that you have learned in your recovery that you still implement in your daily life? Yeah, I was. Oh, that's a great conversation, man. I was just going over a recovery plan yesterday with uh, with someone. I was just uh, talking about the fact that I have to do, and and I think it's the consistency. Getting back to consistency, the lack of it is what was always my my fear of taking me down or whatever you, however you want to phrase it. Um, it was consistency. So I think uh, the fact that I do certain things that I have to to maintain my recovery, to stay in the maintenance phase of my, you know, understanding that I get up in the morning at a certain time, I read the big book at a certain time, I, I, I say things in my head at a certain time, I'll, I'll do things at a certain time, I'll take the time to listen, to look people in the eyes, to... Greet the clients by their last name. Hey, Mister So and So. Hey, Miss So and So. And sometimes they come back like, "Did you just call me Mister So and So?" Or they say, "Thank you, Mister Gilbert, for always addressing me by and making sure I walk through." Um, I don't care. They don't care that I'm executive director. They don't care. Help me out here, man. Treat me. Listen to me. Treat me with a little respect. And, you know, we've all been there. Just and and I think that's important, and I think it's and it's not and you know selfishly, selfishly, it's not just important to their recovery; it's important to my recovery that I understand who I am, and who I am is a recovering addict. That's who I am. That's who I am, and so I'm not better than any one of those my parolee guys that come out, my AB 109ers, my all the, you know, my mommies that are in four or five times and all these, you know, they are, <clears throat> they are there and all the strength it took for them to get there needs to be acknowledged. It needs to be, you know, hey, miss so-and-so, hey, how's it going? What's, you know, good morning, what's happening today, you know? To me, that's part of my recovery. You know, making sure that I stay in that moment. Mm, I like that. I like that. That's part of my recovery too. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, so we, like you know, we, in we, our outpatient, we, we play around. In, 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 in our outpatient, <laughs> in our outpatient, we have a, a check-in, and so one of the things it says is, uh, one of the questions is, uh, "Why are you here? Why are you here?" And I say every time, "I'm here because of them." I'm here because uh, I was struck. I, I made a change, and when I made that change, I, I I wanted to go help other people. So that's why I'm here, you know. And they they helped me in my recovery, you know. Sitting when when we, when we we're having our uh, sessions, you know, I see I see I can look across and I hear the stories, and I'm like, hey, that used to be me, you know. And that's not me no more. I mean, those those, those situations are not me no more, you know. Um, but yeah, getting up every morning. Uh, Doing my devotional, doing my uh, doing my readings, you know, um, uh, having my cup of coffee and in, and in, in, in looking at the uh, looking at the blue sky, you know, uh, smelling smelling uh, smelling the air. I couldn't do that when I was in prison. Couldn't do that when I was on drugs, you know. Uh, 
I'm drunk, you know, drunk. I didn't, I didn't want to hear that. I wanted to go get the next fix. I wanted to uh, uh, be out, be out of the moment, you know. Nowadays, I get that, you know. Uh, I get to go take uh, my dog, my dog for a walk. I get to go, I get to go take uh, the girls, uh, Michelle's girls, or our girls. Uh, I get to go take them, uh, go play pickleball. You know, that's part of my recovery nowadays. You know, uh, being in, being being present, being able to. Uh, be present in the moment and uh, living how I live at that moment, you know that that's part of my recovery. My recovery also entails uh, having having a bad day. That's part of my recovery too. I have bad days, and it's okay. Absolutely. It's okay to have a bad day, but I I process it and I push past it, and that's okay too. You know, it's going to the gym and uh hitting hit, hit throwing that throwing the, the iron around for a couple hours. You know, um, it's about having self care. It's about taking that shower. It's about going uh. And pampering myself with a haircut or getting a shave, you know, with that hot, with that hot uh, shaving cream, you know. Yeah, it's a small, it's a small things. The small things, you, but 100%. you have to develop those small things, and you have to uh, develop that those uh, that consistency. Yeah, for you sure, know, pos- positive consistency. For a long time, you know, for a long time, my consistency was going was going to the liquor store and going straight to the uh, beer cooler. Now I don't do that no more, you know. But you have to develop a positive consistency in what you do in life, you know. And that's been part of my recovery. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's, yeah, I'm kind of old school. So I'm going to tell you, it's about talking on the phone to my 75 year old brother and him knowing me now and having the chance to know me now. And, you know, not the guy that he got out of jail, not the guy that was always, he didn't want at his house when we were younger and stuff like this. You know, it's, it's, it's those conversations with my family. It's the it's the kids who are taking a couple of the kids to Disneyland, you know, coming up. It's doing life stuff. What other people take for granted, I, I stuff I never did, you know. Never sat on the phone and had conversations or never sat with family and had these long conversations. I was always too busy living in my secrets that I didn't share with anybody anything. You know, so now to be able to talk to, you know, to miss someone, you know, to miss, you know, my sister passed away a couple of years ago and we were really close and to have memories of us having funny conversations and just not her picking me up from the hospital or from the emergency room or from the emergency room, just making sure that, you know, it's those things now. It's those things now. Taking a walk, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I felt that. Yeah, I felt that, guys. I love going to sushi. They have a routine. Sushi. Yeah, I, I, I just can't get into going to sushi. Yeah. You're bougie, man. Uh, we ahi sushi. Try it in Cowboy. <laughs> awesome. Man, how, how much you guys paying on that bigger yeah, cover? Yeah, I'm just gonna think Not about. Enough. I just I just text myself right now to go back to payroll. To, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he, he go back to payroll. Tell him to pay me more. There we go. <laughs> All right. So a couple more questions for you guys. How does someone who is influenced by substances or recovering from it use the you know the impact of the family dynamic? I guess mainly the the main question that I have for that, or you know, a better way of asking that is, how can loved ones support those in recovery or those that are still battling their issues with substance use? That's a good question for you. So yeah, sometimes um I think I think a good way of supporting him is to, you know, it, better get, it's better it's get that so, shout out. 
it's so difficult in the times, but you mean shout out over the land. Yeah. <laughs> call you on your shit. Love you enough to call you on your shit. Love you enough to say, hey, we need to talk. I'm not going to coddle you. I'm going to tell you, you need to take care of some shit. And you need to do, you know, we'll be here to help you if you're moving forward and you're helping yourself and stuff like that. But I think that's, I think that was uh, a thing also was just to, to a little honesty, a little honesty, you know. Um, my wife is my best friend, but she is brutally honest, <laughs> brutally honest, you know. And so it's, uh, it keeps you, yeah, that, that honest love. That's not always pleasant, and it's not always, you know, leave it to Beaver stuff. It's kind of, am I too old to be? No. Does anybody even know what leave it to Beaver was? But that's okay. I do. Yeah, I'm more. I'm more first savage. But <laughs> okay, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but yeah, I think it, you hit the topic on the head. You know, um, you need people to be honest with you. You don't need people to coddle coddle you, because um, coddling uh, is a. Uh, Form of enabling, right? Now, I would say that, you know, uh, give a love and affection, but at the same time, family members have to learn how, they have to learn how to set the boundaries too, you know? And, um, and we have, it's these, about moving forward. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, we have these great family nights where it's, it's about boundaries and it's about, and you can see the things light up in the mom's eyes when they're sitting there next to their kid and they I need some boundaries here, you know? And then the kid comes in a couple of days later. You know, my mom won't answer me back. She won't bring me this. She won't bring me that. She said to wait till Thursday. What? Uh, you know, and it's, wow, good. good I'll tell you what. It's that tough love that got me. I mean, once I yeah. got in there, uh, and like I said, my supporters, you know, uh, and it's like they give me tough love. <laughs> you know, but at the same time, I when I came in, I said, I want to work for everything I get. I don't want nothing given to me. You know, because one thing they're given to you, they can be easily taken away from you, right? Yeah. You don't appreciate them as much. But uh, so I, I, I say tough love, uh, you know, but it's still, it's still, you got to give some type of love and some type mm-hmm. of support, you know, and understand that, you know, that person that, that's, you know, going through recovery, you know, it's, it's new to them, you know, yeah. and, um, and so they need that support. They need those affirmations, you know, but, yeah, don't listen, but be able to be able to set boundaries for yourself and and don't give in to uh, the emotional part of that, you know, because a lot of people want to, especially as addicts, we uh, we know how to manipulate, and especially with our family, we know how to mal- manipulate them even more. Yeah, with what things things have done in the past and things we know. So uh, yeah, I would uh, give love and support, but learn how to set boundaries. So it sounds like I mean, you one shouldn't be patient. One should be direct more than anything. Or should I want to be patient as a family member? Kind of be patient. I, I think it's a little bit of both. I know it's kind of contradictory maybe a little bit, but I think it's a little bit of both. I think you got to be human, you know, and you got to be of course, a little patient. But I think with patience, you can have honesty. I think you can you can be a little bit of both. Yeah. You know? Yeah, because I, I think in, in those types of situations, I think I would put myself in the, in the lens of the family, right? Mm-hmm. And... You know, there there may be some situations that may be frustrating. And, you know, there may be there may be some acting out from the person that may be under the influence, and there may be some children around, and they just don't want to deal with it. 
maybe in that situation, there should be some patience, but also right. like get the fuck away from my kid in the yeah. situation until you're good. And then we'll talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's weird. I, I, I see what you're saying. There should be both. There should be some directness, but also some patience at the same time. And I think those are the boundaries come in, right? Those are right. the boundaries where you just said that. Get the fuck away from my kids. We're not going to talk about this now. You need to go or you need to, you know, we'll, 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 we'll take this, but don't, you know, and don't come around the kids when stuff like that's going on. You're right. I think there's a little bit of both. Yeah. A couple more questions for you guys. <clears throat> I think this kind of goes into the theme of my podcast, which is called Destigmatize. Why do you believe that there is still stigma associated with substance use and mental health? And how does this affect those who are seeking recovery? Well, I, how do I think there is? Well, because of the fact of uh, pretty much, I and mean, I think it goes back to, again, um, fear. I think it comes from fear. Fear of acknowledging, fear of understanding that, you know what, it is not. Co-occurring disorder, I'm sorry, mental health, co-occurring disorders, whether it's substance use disorder or it's mental health or it's both, which they're, they're intertwined, but they're intertwined. There's no economic, there's no gender, there's no society situation, there's no, and if, and I think once people accept the fact that it is not, it, it's not just the people in a, a certain part of town, it's not your economical, your socioeconomical status. situation, your yeah. status. I said, you know, and I think um, people are afraid to talk about it because automatically they feel society categorizes where you are, who you are, where you're from, you know, and stuff like that. There are people who are brilliant, who are up there in, you know, that are dealing with mental health every day, every day. And there are people who are not, who are dealing with substance use disorder or having another situation. It doesn't, it, you can't judge, I don't know, if you go that simple, a book by its cover or whatever. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? It's 100%. Not, it's, it doesn't it's, discriminate. It doesn't discriminate. It doesn't discriminate. It doesn't matter where you're from, who you are, where you came from. And I think that's one of the fears. So I think it's fear a lot of times that prevents people from getting help or talking about it. It's the fear of man, what's what's going to happen to my life, to my job, to my family, to people I love? What's going to happen to, you know, so I'll just live in this darkness until I can't anymore. 100%. Yeah. And, I, and I'll self-disclose a little bit about myself. I'm addicted to being a perfectionist in, in some senses. For example, I, I think my biggest thing is fantasy football. So I stopped playing fantasy football. Uh, because of my personality, my addictive personality in that sense. And let me explain. When I was playing, I've played for I played fantasy for three years. I won I lost my first year and I won my other two. And the reason why I won my other two is because of the fact that I am so depend like I fixated on the waivers. The moment that I would lose sleep, it would affect my work. I would stop working because I would be like, oh, I got to get on waivers and I got to go ahead and pick up my players. And I would listen to podcasts. I would watch ESPN religiously. I would watch Sports Center, 
all these things. And it was addictive. And I made it and I made a choice. And people like there's some people that laugh at me because I, I do this. But I cho- I chose I made a choice to never play fantasy football again. Because it was so impactful to my life. Yeah. And I made the choice because I'm like, I became so addicted to that, to this desire to win what, two hundred bucks? In this, in a course of sixteen weeks, my time is not worth two hundred dollars. But I made that choice, and people give me shit for it now. But I think you're right. It comes back to that fear. I'm not a flirt. I'm not ashamed of telling that story. You know, I'm a, I'm okay with talking about it. My addiction may be a little bit different compared to some people, and it may be silly. It's like really, that's an addiction. But it was my addiction. You know, so. Well, it prohibited you. Prohibited you. And from, you know, working, right? Did it, it prohibit, prohibit you from having uh, with relationship with your with your significant other, you know? Did it take the time out? It did. Uh, you know? 100%. So, you know. Watching football and being live, you know, and then the players getting hurt and me getting upset because the player got hurt. Instead of recognizing, hey, this individual's a human being. Fuck my fantasy f- stats. This individual got hurt. This human got hurt. Like, yeah. I think I think stigma <clears throat> with uh, mental health a lot is that you know, crazy. Back in the day, all oh, you're you're crazy, and that term crazy, a lot of people don't want to be labeled as crazy. You know, um, a lot of people see people on the on the corner uh, having those episodes. Oh no, I'm not that person. But you know, you know, I might be acting out like that person. But you uh, have an illness like that person, you know, and so people people don't want to come forward and admit it, you know. Like I said, like I didn't want depression back in the day for me, you know, it wasn't as prevalent. They didn't talk about it like they do now, you know. And uh, I was very prideful. I didn't until recently. I was very prideful. Like I don't don't have mental mental health, you know. Um, But I I I do, and I did, you know, and so. Like, but it, you cannot get help if you can't admit something that that's wrong with you. One hundred percent. So, like, you know, you know, don't be afraid to uh, to re- to reach out. Don't be afraid to uh, to seek the uh, guidance you need. You know, recovery isn't a bad thing. Recovery is a step towards uh, a better life. So, let me ask you this: How can society better improve and support individuals that are battling substance use? their recovery, or even their mental health. I, um, <clears throat> excuse me. I think, I think it goes back to the basics of conversation. Education, conversation, understanding, you know, get, getting to people to understand, to reach out, have that conversation. You know, have that conversation in the common areas of the world, you know, where don't just... It's just not going to be a meeting. It's just not going to be a teach. I, I feel if we open up and teach stuff like that at school, teach stuff like that, you know, at a community center, understand that it's okay to have conversations about let's let's educate ourselves on on what what do you mean when you're feeling a little depressed? What do you mean? Where how do you identify the fact that maybe I'm drinking a little too much right now? But why am I drinking a little too much right now? What's going on? I'm not getting my hours at work. I'm not doing this. I'm not communicating. To, you know, my children are, something's going on with my son. Something's, you know. So um, conversations about understanding what 
escaping is and what you know what am i doing to make you know maybe and i think that's where it starts with education and conversation yeah i I fully agree on that it's about joining the conversation uh what people don't know about you know uh they don't care about and you know they only see only see the uh the actions of it right but when you when you when you're educated when you're educated when you're educated about something you have more knowledge and you can understand things better yeah. Um, so it's about you know how many times in this community do we have actually have a conversation like a, a community forum conversation about mental mental health where the community comes in. You know, we see it happening with uh, leadership in our community talking about public policy, but uh, but what about the people? What about the people? Yeah. What about the people? You know, how many of these kids are in school that that are struggling with mental health? You know, uh, you know, there's a lot. Right. And so. Where, where where does it help where where are the, the parents how are, how are they educated on this how are they educated to help their their children you know um where it starts with uh with communication join the conversation yeah i mean even something that's basic like with kids you know kids using vape pens nowadays in schools and just having that conversation instead of disciplining the child you know which i mean of course there's there may be some discipline yeah. that's needed of course but also being genuine and asking, yo, what's what's going on with the kid? For yeah. them to feel the need to resort to using a, a tobacco vape pen. You know? Yeah. Fair pressure. I mean, they, I mean, that's not, I, I, I agree with you on that, but me and Gilbert went to uh, to an organization, a, a company in Delane with Lost Hills, and um, and they learned that somebody, uh, some, some teenager took like three gummies, eight, eight gummies, eight gummies. But didn't know what they were. Yeah. You know, oh. Yeah. Gotta, if they don't know, if we don't know, we're not educating, then, you know. For sure. They're lost. Yeah, there shouldn't be a taboo in just having these conversations. These, yeah. You know, we should. The fear of talking about it. Yeah. Yep. 100%. I'm going to give these last couple minutes of, uh, of our podcast episode um, to Bakersfield Recovery Services. Talk to me about some upcoming projects or initiatives that you guys are excited about or some initiatives and projects that you guys have done that maybe other counties, other states may want to incorporate. I, I'm excited about the fact that we're changing our process of being able to get out in the community and educate, you know, educate people a little more in different environments. We're, we're able to reach out to companies and corporations that have employees that may be dealing with certain situations in their family and being able to reach out to them and say, listen, we can just go have a conversation. We can go have a conversation about something. We've we've been to Lost Hills. We've been to Fresno. We've been to Delano. We've been to Wasco. We've been to Arvin. We've been out there kind of just showing a presence and and i think that's that's been that's been interesting and to understand that yeah there is you know we have we have a lot of letting people understand what you know this there's a whole other show letting letting people understand what medicated assistant treatments are letting people understand what help is you know how you can call how can you just reach out you know just call this number you don't have to tell anybody just call and you have somebody that'll listen to you and that'll say, Hey, let me tell you, you're not alone. This is how you can get some conversation. This is how you can get some 
understand where you're going with that. These are the services that are out there. Be be present at health fairs. Be present at at the park for walk runs for whatever where people go and where people congregate. Be there to be able to get out there. So uh, and and helping our and and helping our clients be of service. You know, we live in a community on the east side. So let's be part of that community. Let's not just be that recovery house that's on the corner. Let's be the recovery house that participates in their community. Let's be the recovery house that helps feed the food insufficiency situations that we have in our neighborhood. Let's have them understand what it's like to work in the garden and help other people while you are getting help yourself. Reach out, you know. Let's uh, let's live in our community. Let's not just be housed there. Gotcha. Yeah. Oh, I got... I can't uh, can't override that one, but yeah, we do have some programs coming up. Um, we got our multi service center coming up uh, uh, at our out, behind our outpatient. You know, we're offering we're being part of our community. We're uh, not only is it is a center going to be opened up to our uh, to our clients, our, um, but it's also opened up to the community. And our community is one of the lowest poverty uh, communities in uh, Kern County. Um, it's also the highest uh, food insecurity ca- uh, community in Kern County. So the community is welcome to come in and uh, get job development uh, training. They're, they can come in and uh, work with, you know, we have a demographic of, of Hispanics that are undocumented. Come in and get immigration services and feel safe getting those immigration services. We're going to, we're, we're going to, uh, we're going to have parenting classes for them. Court approved parenting classes. Family reunification. Family reunification. Um, we're going to have, we're going to have, what else we have we're going to have drop-in socials. We're going to have a food uh, distribution. Food distribution. So we got a lot of things coming on on for the Multiple Service Center for Breakthrough Recovery service, Services in our community. We're also doing uh, also going to do education. Uh, join the conversation. It's crazy we said that, but going out to uh, uh, to the to these communities, rural communities, companies, and and uh, and educating their their uh, their staff on Narcan training. Uh, was can you identify uh, fentanyl? What do you do in in the in the event of exposure? You know, uh, right on. so yeah, it's a little bit and, of what, what what we got going on, and and not just fentanyl. Understand that there's still other stuff out there. There's alcohol. There's meth. There's coke. There's you know ecstasy, Molly. What, yeah, what is what does weed do to you? Right. You know, and stuff yeah. like this. So just to, but I think what's really important is. Is what we're talking about. Be be a part of the community that we're just not the treatment center over there on the corner. We live there, right. so we have to be good neighbors. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's a place where you could talk about cannabis and you know understand that there's not going to be any judgment, uh, right? But we're also going to go ahead and educate you on the fact that hey, you're four times more prone to go ahead and get a heart attack when you're on cannabis versus any other point in your life. So those types of conversation. So, yeah, just because I have it in front of me, um, I'll go ahead and give a, a quick shout out to your uh, organization. You can find more information at BakersfieldRecoveryServices.com. They're located on 531 Knott Street in Bakersfield, California. And their phone number is area code 661-325-1817. If, uh, is there any other information that you want to go ahead and give out regarding Bakersfield Recovery? I think that's great. Reach out. Reach out. Call us. No judgment. Just want to know some stuff. We'll be there to help you. Right on. Uh, Reflected on your journey, is there anything else that you would like our listeners to know about recovery, mental health, or your work at Bakersfield Recovery Services? 
or anything that I should have asked you or that you wish that I would have asked you during this episode? I think, I think it was a great conversation. Reach out for help. Yeah, reach out for help. I will say, you know, for those, uh, for those that are fearful, uh, against whatever they're feeling, uh, whether it be families, dig, uh, jobs, you know, don't be afraid because, uh, longer you wait, the worse it's going to get. And, uh, change is not easy, but it is, uh, but it is rewarding. So don't be afraid. Trust the process. For sure. All right. This is season two, episode seven of the Stigmatized Mental Health Podcast. You can go ahead and find this episode and any other episodes on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you.